I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. My guest today is my friend, Anteres Genari. Anteres and I met when she was launching her podcast, Hey Change, back in 2017. We met to discuss change. Her podcast aims to inspire listeners to embrace curiosity and positivity and promote a better way of life, which was just right down what I wanted to talk about. When we met then, I realized that she was a model, had a career in modeling that has seen all of the ups and downs of being a model, which led her in 2017 to co-found an agency that is called Role Model Management. It's a talent agency that puts ethics and sustainability and social justice, not just the glamorous look of a model at its core. She's a stubborn believer in collective positive change and an entrepreneur that uses her business ideas to make a difference. As she used her agency to serve as a platform for models to be given a voice and speak up about things they believe in, she too has followed her passion to speak up, a few times actually, in a way that makes a difference. And Therese, it's been a long time. I'm so grateful that you're with me today. Thank you for having me, Mo. It's just good to see you. And Therese, I want to start from the start. Looking at you and the work that you do and being a model appears to be, like all of us, bold old men. We think that, man, I wish I was this representative and attractive and in the spotlight. And can you tell me a bit about your modeling career? What is the modeling world really like? Is it something as glamorous as we think it is? Oh, modeling is such a big topic. I feel like each model probably has her own or his own story. And obviously I have mine. I probably have a very unique story though, because the way I entered modeling was a little bit different. I always sort of knew I wanted to be a model. Never really know why, but it was just something that really spoke to me. And I guess being a young girl and you watch things like Top Model and stuff like that, you're just like, I want to be that girl one day but never really took it seriously until I moved to New York to do my master's in branding and communications. And I was really at the time passionate, or still am, but I was really passionate about speaking up about things that I believe in, like the climate and human health and all these sorts of things. And it really bothered me that, I'm sorry for throwing up names there, but the Kardashians and similar influencers had so much influence and so many followers, and they weren't speaking about anything of importance. And I was like, okay, how can I gain a platform? How can I become someone? Because I did not have any followers. I was nobody. No one cared at all about what I was saying. So it just dawned on me that maybe if I became a model, I would gain that platform. Long story short, I was 24 at the time, which is almost grandmother for a model, especially if you never (laughs) modeled before. So Uh I built my book. I got some tips from photographers. I basically didn't really lie. I made up some white lies. I did at some point actually lie about my age because I was too old, but I made my way in there and I finally got signed with an agency. And that was one of those like, hmm, 
really, this just happened? Those moments. And so I got signed with an agency in New York City and I felt like my whole life was made. Like I made it, I paved my way there, I figured it out. But soon thereafter, I realized that the industry was nothing like I've ever thought it was. And um, me being an entrepreneur almost at birth, I've always been wanting to do my own thing and like making up my own schedule and paving my own way. It just did not sit well with me that someone was telling me where to be and then in what time and what to do. And the voice I was so desperately seeking was almost stripped away even further. As a model, you're asked to show up, to not share your opinions, to be quiet, to just do what you're told. And I realized that what I'm trying to do in my mission is just not going to happen here. They're not going to care about what kind of clients I want to work with. I was once asked to walk in fur for a runway and I was vegan at the time and still am, but being vegan and asked to walk in fur was just like a big no. So I had to cancel that. So stuff like that happened. And I started asking myself, like, why am I doing this? And how does this matter or not? And in being a model too, and connecting with other models, soon realizing that First of all, the industry is a lot tougher than it might seem on the surface. There's a lot of hard work. There's so much uncertainty. And also the whole economical aspect of things. Models sometimes don't get paid for months or even a year, if ever. There have been times where models never get paid for works they've done. And there's a lot of just hushing and quiet and secrets behind closed doors. And obviously, luckily, a lot has changed since the Me Too movement when women and men started to speak up about their stories. But yeah, I realized very soon that this is an industry that needs change. And I want to help be part of that change. You mentioned the Me Too movement. And I am aware that you came out early this year in the New York Times to talk about you too. And would you be open to share a bit about that? Yeah, this is a story that I'll just give you some quick background. For the longest time, I did not tell anyone, even myself. And by that, I mean something happened to me. It was before I was signed and I was trying to build my book, but I was tricked by a photographer into a very uncomfortable situation. You would call it sexual harassment and not needing to go into details. I just felt so stripped of my my rights as a human being. I felt so ashamed. I felt dumb for having even entered that moment. I felt like it was on me that I've gotten there. How did I end up here? And I was just so ashamed by the whole thing where I didn't tell anyone. I did not want to even remember it. I tried to forget about it. And it actually wasn't until the Me Too where I was asked by a fellow model friend if anyone had stories to share anonymously that I remember that it had actually happened and I spoke up about it then. And then interestingly, about a year ago, this lawyer reached out to me and there was other cases out there of women who had been tricked by this photographer and he was still out there operating, doing worse and worse things. And that just made me angry because I'm like, he's still offending women and this is not okay. And so we decided to file a lawsuit against him and it's been going on ever since. And then New York Times reached out to me earlier this year and said, Something very interesting was that there was a film being made and actually premiering this spring about this one photographer. It was based on a true story. And it turns out that when they were investigating that we are filing a lawsuit against the same photographer who they were making a film about. So we connected and it was just, it's been an event of sharing stories of women coming together, speaking up. We've had some virtual summits with the agency to bring awareness about this. I decided to put my name behind the story finally because I think it's so important that we claim our stories, that we understand it's not my fault. This person is operating. His whole game is tricking models that doesn't have experience, have no social like secure network. And that's just what he's doing. And it wasn't my fault. And I should not be ashamed of this. And by speaking up, I can help 
others or prevent others ending up in the same situation. Can I be a bit even more pushy around this? When I talk to my audience around topics that we are responsible for, it's the idea of being tricked, believe it or not, is I, I don't know if that's only for a model or an actress or a, a person in the workplace. I think the entire idea of being tricked by someone who doesn't anticipate that or expects better from a person. You know, the whole Me Too movement was all about the promptness, not just the ability to speak up and come out on those topics. But when you were talking now, the part that really, really touched my heart is that when you started to speak about what happened to you, you realized that he has affected other women. And I think what most of us don't realize is that when we think about being ashamed of something that happened that was not at all our mistake versus the fact that by speaking up we can prevent that from happening to others because my belief is that someone who does this once does it more than once it's such a um, an important topic for young for all honestly for all women and sometimes even men and i think the idea of leaving a predator unexposed is something that we need to change what would you tell any young woman in a situation like this today, knowing that you kept it inside you for a while, but then discovered it was not necessarily needed to be kept inside. Well, you're touching on a lot of important things here. I also want to really emphasize that in this case, I do believe that I was a victim. He was really just preying on young, vulnerable women. Sometimes though, maybe it is your fault. Maybe you did end up in a situation where you do feel guilty and you did something wrong. However, no matter if you were guilty or not, whose fault it is, I think it's so important and so empowering to just own your stories and claim them to be yours because I think so much can be gained from acceptance. And once we start to accept, we can release that and move on. And I think the same goes, we're going to talk about this later, but everything that has to do with climate change and a lot of the guilt and the shame in the world today. And it goes for everything that's heavy topic where we sometimes don't want to talk about it. And I'm a big student of yours because I love to be happy and I want to find ways to be happy. And it was for a long time, hard for me to even tap into the parts of myself where I wasn't as happy or the emotions attached to it wasn't as joyful. But by continuing to keep it a secret and like just put it away in a, a dark corner within you, it stays there. It's going to come back out. And I feel like it's just such a freeing experience to, to speak up about things that has happened. Even if that's just, you can start by yourself, like write it down, tell yourself the truth. Like this happened to me. That's okay. I'm stronger than this. I can move beyond this. And then remember that if you are a young girl or a man or whatever age doesn't really matter because we all as vulnerable, if something's happened to you, Find someone to tell if that starts with yourself or a friend that you trust or a parent or even a counselor, whoever it is. No one should have to carry something like that by themselves. And I think you have to remember that you are not alone. It is so common today. It unfortunately is. This is horrible, really. It's so common. Yeah. But I think it is common and has been common for a long time. The only reason I think it's starting to feel like it's more common is because people are speaking up about it. So we are of hearing the stories. I would say, don't keep it to yourself. That's the worst thing you can do. Yeah, even though I appear to be quite uh, chill uh, in general, I'm quite a rebel when it comes to my brain. So when every time my brain would put me in a corner, I would actually 
object. I would sort of debate why are you not willing to talk about this or why are you not willing to challenge this or to change direction and so on. And so I'm encouraging everyone listening to us, please, you heard the advice. You have to talk to someone. If you've been through one of those experiences, it's in the past, it happened. And the next morning, maybe the next week, the best thing you can do is to talk about it, is to talk about it to yourself, to talk about it to others that you trust. And I actually personally do that. None of us is without moments in life where we have regret or shame. And I actually have a very close circle of friends where I will pick up the phone and I will say, hey, I really need to talk to you about something. And most of the time, just that one hour or half an hour conversation completely changes our lives. And I'm so grateful that you're so open to talk about this. And so Antares, you're in general, I find that your actions are all about using your position, your power, your stories to inspire others to do the same and hopefully to make a change. So your agency, Role Model Management, took that idea of being a model in a space that is not that glamorous as it seems on the outside and empowering other models to speak up. Can you tell me about this a little bit from an entrepreneurial point of view, but also from the change the world point of view? Okay. Because the two go hand in hand, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sometimes no. <laughs> Most of the time, sadly not. <laughs> In the new world, it does. So the agency, we didn't really talk about it yet, but from my whole frustration with the industry, I decided, or I started looking for a different agency that maybe represented models like me who wanted to use their voice for good and want to work with brands that they can align their values with, realized that that agency just didn't exist. And so I had an idea of starting my own. And long story short, you know, I've been running role models management now for over three years. And it's been a very organic growth because it turns out a lot of models did feel the same way. And they were very upset about the industry. And it's funny because modeling for the longest time has just been this one thing. And talking from a entrepreneurial point of view, a lot of the feedback we've been getting from models and clients and photographers and casting directors is actually that we are different. And my business partner and I, we had never been working for an agency before. We never been bookers or never had that experience of running an agency. We both have been models. So we knew the other side, but we have just been going on, like going about it in a way that we think things should be done. So like, how would I react in this moment? How would I treat someone? Like if someone calls me, will I pick up the phone? Like those just common sense things that apparently just hasn't been part of the industry before. And so we've actually gained a lot of our success just due to the fact that we are different and people say it's refreshing how different we are and we're operating in a very different way. So I think there's a lot of room for change in this industry and we're seeing even more of that now in COVID. However, I think our biggest difference is what you just said. We really see modeling as an opportunity to speak up about things, to be a force for change in the world. And models have so much more to give than just a pretty face. And they want to give more than that. They're just waiting for someone to say, hey, what is your opinion? What's your voice in this? Tell us what you feel. And I think today too with social media, people are following models. They know what they eat for breakfast. They know the workouts they're doing. They know everything about them. And they look up to them like they're the role models. And so that's our mission. We take a model and make them a role model. And I think what differs us from other agencies is that we are looking for that aspect. So if someone wants to sign with us, we say, okay, you look amazing. You have all the right things. You can model like you know how to post in front of a camera. But how are you trying to make a difference in this world? So we really do want to see that. 
because I think it's not just an opportunity, but almost a responsibility today to understand that you have a platform as you better use that for good. And I think that's incredible power in how we advocate for things and we share our stories and we dare to be vulnerable and modeling can be super glamorous. It can. And I think that's what I want to get to as well. First, I think for someone who doesn't know modeling at all, it's like, Oh, it's so fabulous. You travel places, you go to the beach and you shoot for a few minutes and then you're good. Whereas models or someone who might know a little bit more knows it's long hours. It's a lot of uncertainty. You travel a lot. Sometimes you don't work for months and sometimes you do work. So that's another aspect of modeling. I think a part that has been just like a no-brainer for so long that needs to change is that by being a model, you sign up for the struggle. You sign up for not eating well. You sign up for being stressed. You sign up for being lonely. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can be a model and you can take care of yourself. You can work out, eat well, get good foods, have a support circle around you, connect with other models. Models are so happy to share with their, of their experiences, to give advice to one another, to be there for one another. So that's really starting to change too, which is amazing. But I think understanding that by taking care of yourself, by purveying a message to the world that you are a healthy person, that's how you make for healthy followers. And I think if we are to look up to people like celebrities, who are we looking up to? What are we trying to copy? And I think understanding that it's a responsibility as an agency too, and as agents to make sure that our models are healthy and happy so that they can then go out and be that change in the world. Yeah, I think healthy and happy are not supposed to be separate. So the idea is that most of us sometimes will trade happy for healthy. It's like, okay, I'm going to just suffer so much just to stay in shape, healthy, to find whether that's the next modeling gig or it's just the next nod from someone saying, hey, you look great today. And I think that imbalance just doesn't work out. But can I be a little provocative here? Because modeling for an engineer is a very, very different topic, right? So when an engineer like myself says, I'm going to be modeling something, that basically means I'm going to be simulating the exact reality of that thing in a sort of a model. So instead of building a full factory and seeing how the factory is going to work, I would build a small model of the factory and investigate a few things and how it works. One of the things that I don't like about modeling, and I say that with respect, of course, is that it really doesn't model our life at all. Most models are not the average woman. Most may models are not the average man. And most of the products that are being modeled are actually not the typical scenarios, not in the typical life. And like Seinfeld used to make the joke about selling a fizzy drink with a beautiful woman running on a beach in a bikini. It's like, I bought the fizzy drink, where is the bikini? And you understand it just doesn't work. It's not real modeling. How do you reconcile that? That at the end of the day, most of the time when you're modeling, you're really not telling the truth. First of all, I forgot that you're the Google guy in all of this. <laughs> the engineers, like, no, no let's define modeling. Um, so you're so right. I think that's another thing we've just taken for granted for so long that we just expect the model to be this flawless, perfect person, by the way, which is never true. Let's not even talk about the editing that goes into the photos and stuff, but like knowing models and their lives models are sometimes the most unhappy people on the planet because they're struggling so I hard. I've seen to... that from most of my model friends. Unfortunately, it is so true. Yeah. And they have to look perfect and pervade that life on social media. And it's a lot of stress attached to it. Luckily, things are changing. I think I've been wanting to see a lot of change in the industry for a while. 
when it comes to models health and model rights and also the whole supply chain and transparency and fashion and production and all these things. I think a lot of those things are changing now, especially since COVID hit, because now the fashion industry has to rethink everything. I think also, which is interesting to see, being an agent and everything, now brands are actually looking into shooting at home. That's so, so interesting. They're actually sending products to the models and they're asking them to do the whole photo shoot on their own, which is really incredible. So like we're pivoting and like we need to figure this out. And so I think even more so, like if a model has all the power and like creating her own photo shoot, of course, with directions from the brand, but we are really starting to see models that humans, like there are human beings and we do want to see someone that we can relate to. And that's also something that's changed since social media became part of the picture where now we see so many, I don't like saying plus size, but women of different sizes and body shapes are really taking stage. And so brands are really understanding that consumers are asking for that authenticity, transparency, diversity, you see women and men from all ethnicities and backgrounds and color. And it's just, I think, the old way of the Seinfeld, like, where's my bikini? I want that babe with my fizzy water. It's just changing. Like, I think that is the old way of doing modeling. And I think we're going to move into more of what you prefer as, you know, something that represents everyone and not just a perfect Barbie. So here you are. Of course, the first time I met you, I was like, okay, she's very different, right? She's outspoken, she's driven, you're very entrepreneurial. Remember how you literally cornered me? I was in New York City for a, a few days and you said, we're recording now. And that whole approach, you were very true to what you stand for. Now, you've built a platform, you're now using the platform for something that actually has nothing to do with modeling. So tell me a bit about the idea of climate optimism. Why first, and what are you doing about it? How are you trying to change? our perspective okay so to be frank i started the modeling agency because i wanted to change the world and i know that sounds very grandiose but if there's one thing i'm passionate about it's the climate it's our future and the environment and so in all of this too i've really grown into being a climate optimist and what i mean by that is that i think that the way we're talking about climate change needs to change i think the whole doom and gloom approach to climate change obviously it's very alarming and makes people wake up and thanks to Greta someone came and stirred the pot but now I think we need to add some new ingredients and part of those ingredients needs to be optimism encouragement I think again back to acceptance I think by approaching this through fear which we have been for so long it's just not working if you think about it like we were told decades ago that we are destroying our planet and if we don't do anything we're going to go under more or less and we still haven't done enough to fix that. And that first made me wonder, are humans just stupid? Are we not capable of change? But then just look at the world right now. Like we are changing everything in a heartbeat. Just over the course of a few weeks, the whole world shut down and we just adapted to a new way of living because we had no choice. And then I reflected even further, like, why is that? But I think it's because as human, and this is just part of our nature and something we need to understand, we will always address something that's urgent and very close to us on a personal level first. And that is just a way of survival. And it doesn't mean that we are selfish or we don't care about other people or our future. It's literally just how humans operate. And so if you try to push something as big as climate change and continue to say, don't do this or do this, or we will die, or our cities will go underwater, or animals will go extinct, which they already are. But you know, just continue to pump fear 
and not giving us a clear direction on what to do right now, it's just, it's too overwhelming. And what happens is we turn that inwards, we develop depression and anxiety, which we're seeing a huge rise on amongst young people right now, which is sad in itself. So how do we change this? Well, I think we have to understand that, first of all, it's a really exciting time to be alive. It's a time when all of us get together and do something together in unison and collectively work for a better world, which is, to me, super exciting. And secondly, we have to feel good, honestly. I want to wake up and be excited about today. I don't want to feel like I'm put on this planet in the last minute and I'm almost doomed for being here in the first place. Like That is not the reality I want to live in. I want to feel healthy and I want to be thriving. And so... For me, being a climate optimist is understanding that, yes, we've been wrong, all of us. Let's just face that. Secondly, let's put that behind us and move on. Instead of pointing fingers and trying to find someone to blame, how can we work on something better? How can we move on? How can we accept that things, how they are right now, are not working? But the cool thing is we can change our behaviors and have even better ways in the future. And I think that is the approach we need to start talking about. And for someone who doesn't know, we can reverse global warming. We have all the science and technology, like we know exactly what to do. Not exactly, but we know sort of what to do. We just need to start putting that in place. And like, there is hope for a better future, but we need to choose to act on it right now. Don't you believe that, this is a rhetorical question, by the way, don't you believe that fear and negativity are a better driver for action? I mean, isn't this what we've been taught by everyone? It is in a very urgent matter. But for climate change to be addressed, it's going to take years, if not decades, to figure this out. It's not a one and done thing. And I think if we keep pushing our well-being and happiness into the future until one day we figure this out, it's just not going to work. We need something to fuel our engines. And I love to talk about the happiness hormones, which is oxytocin, dopamine, endorphins, and serotonin, because I think they are what will keep us going. And I think this is, I see it as a road trip. You pack the car. You're heading for a destination, but it's not the destination itself that's important. Like the second you hit the road, you're on your way and you're loving the trip, right? And at the same time, like similar to a road trip, you may have packed the car, you may have, you know, drawn the map, you've done some research, but you're not going to know exactly every pit stop you make or when you have to fuel up the car or when you get hungry or when you have to pee, like all those things are going to happen along the way. You will just have to figure out. And so I think this, what we're working on right now are future, our climate optimistic future starts right now. It starts by just packing the car and like taking off. And we have to start enjoying that trip every single day. I'm with you. So I have to admit that one of the things that completely puzzles me is why is it that we always motivate ourselves by the negative? Why do we motivate our children by the negative, right? Why do we tell everyone if unless you do this, you're going to be a failure? My wonderful mother used to tell me, look, if you don't score A's in school, you're going to end up being a garbage collector. And with all respect for all garbage collectors, she was saying this as a means for convincing a little child that this is the worst job you will ever get. You will have a life of suffering that is surrounded by garbage. And no, mommy, I, you know, B pluses do very well too. And, you know, some of the people who follow their passion and play football do even better, right? And the truth is we always get motivated by the negative. And I wonder why is it that we don't get motivated by the positive. During the lockdown, like you, you go out and walk in the park. I walk in the park every day. And one of the things that you notice is that it's actually possible, it's very, very possible to be optimistic because a couple of months of lockdown has had a significant noticeable difference. And instead of being motivated by, I'm afraid that we will all die, maybe we should be motivated to do the change 
because we want to all live a wonderful life. The motive is not if you don't fix the climate, we will vanish as a species. It is if you fix it, we will have a much better life as a species. If you fix it, we will have a, a much better future for ourselves and our children. And I think that's an interesting twist that maybe has not been addressed the way you position it. I think it's something that we need to do more of. I agree. And on that point too, I think the whole fear-based incentive works if there is something good at the other end to work for. When your mother said you don't want to be a garbage collector, I think you had a different career in mind that you could work towards. If the only thing you had was to avoid being a garbage collector and you're like, what else is there? If you don't have any other goal to reach for, like I'm going to study hard, it's a lot of pain, I'm going to have to put all these hours in to do my homework. But if you don't know what you're striving for, like what are other careers you could potentially get, you might start going back to like, well, what's so bad about being a garbage collector? I can play music all day and be happy. And so I think right now we have been talking about how bad the climate will be if we don't do anything, but no one is talking about what is the future we could find ourselves in? What are we working for? And so being aware of the negative results that we're trying to avoid, but at the same time have something positive to strive for. Yeah, I can see that. And I can see that this probably is an interesting, at least a balance of that and this, you know, a realistic view of what are the risks, but also what are the upsides? Where are we heading? I think that's a very interesting place to be. I need to ask you a question on something that you said before we finish. So you said, I started my agency. I do this because I want to change the world. And this might be a grandiose aspiration or ambition. Are you changing the world? Of course I am. Good. I say that because I want everyone who's listening right now to understand that you have such an incredible power to change the world and to change the world for people around you and for yourself. And I did start the agency with this mission of, you know, I want to create an army almost of really positive, driven, influential people that can go out there and help me spread this message for me or with me. But in doing so, by running this agency, I'm realizing that everyone is making a difference. Everyone. everyone is planting seeds and how we act and how we show up for ourselves and for others and the choices we make. Oh my goodness, I cannot even begin to tell you how much you're changing the world every single day. I totally agree. I wanted to ask you this because of a lesson that my son taught me, which was, I was very driven all my life. I always had those crazy ambitions to really make the world a better place. And my son sits to me one day and says, Papa, I have to say something, but I think it will upset you. And I was like, say it, Ali. Every time he said something, it was very useful for me. And so he said, Papa, you're never going to change the world. You're never going to fix it, he said. You're never going to fix the world. You know that? And I was like, why? Why, Ali, are you saying this? He says, you can change it a little bit every day. But there will always be another problem that may be still remaining in the world. No one is big enough to fix it, to fix all of it. So when you come out and speak about your own experience to the New York Times, you've changed the world many times over. When you start your role model management agency and you allow models to have a career that is a lot more in line with your vision, you know, you've changed the world. When you speak to me about climate optimism and maybe allow all of us to have a bit of an optimistic, positive approach to how we can get things done, I think that's changing the world. And I think that's quite commendable if you ask me. I want to say two things. First of all, I always love when you bring up your son. It's just incredible how he lives uh, on through you. No, I really do. I just get teared out even just hearing you talk about him. And I want to just give this snippet for the listeners because how I actually reached out to you, it's really funny. I was back in Sweden and I had 
told myself I was going to start a podcast and I've done all the background of like, what do you need? And like all the preparing for it. And then one night my brother sent me a link on link on Facebook and he said, you should check out this guy. I think you really like him. And it was an interview with you. You were on some American talk show of some sort or news or whatever it was. You were talking about your book, Self for Happy. And I instantly was just like, yes, I do like this guy a lot. And so what I did, I wasn't nobody, remember. I had not even launched my podcast yet. I think I requested you as a friend on Facebook. <laughs> and yes, and then exactly you accepted it. And I'm like, oh, he accepted my friend request. And then I just reached out and I said, hey, I have a podcast. I would love to interview you. And this says a lot about me because I've always been that way. I'm like, who knows? Maybe if I reach out, he'll say yes. You never know. And this says a lot about you because you didn't say how many listeners do you have? How long have you been podcasting? You didn't ask any questions. You just said, I'd love to do it. <laughs> I, I say a lot of yeses in my life. It's quite Yes, you do. And then we found a time. We were both in New York and I came to your hotel and we recorded the podcast and um, you were one of my first guests ever. So I'm really grateful for that. Thank you. It's been an incredible experience. If you allow me to say I'm about climate optimism, I have what I call human optimism. I actually believe that most of us who are trying to make a difference and have a positive impact in the world, we need to be supported. We need to be working together. We need to find ways to just hold hands and move forward because unfortunately, one bad seed, sadly, goes much further than a few good ones. And so the only way for us to make a difference is to hold on to each other. Having said that, it's been a pleasure, a wonderful friendship. And uh, yes, we're still friends on Facebook and we're still friends in many other ways. And hopefully uh, after all of this is over, we will have another cup of coffee and I'll be very grateful for that. I'm looking forward to it. And I also want to say final thing. I am a climate optimist because I believe in Mother Nature and I believe in humans. And that's why I am a climate optimist. I do think we have what it takes to get this right. I do too. As I said, everyone can make a difference. Everyone can have a, just a tiny bit of a change. Thank you so much, Andres. And for all of you who joined us, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow me on social media. Search for MoGaudet, SlowMo, Soul for Happy, or One Billion Happy. I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, there is always time to slow down. Until next time, stay happy.